Let's pray, and then we'll jump into Luke. Okay? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. I want to never take it for granted. Um, God, as we open your word, I pray that you would uh, bless those who are on our minds. Father, especially during this season, I know there's some that are going through A time which would be very joyful and um, a time with family and yet this past year they've lost loved ones and um, there's still some grief involved and I just pray God that you would surround those those people, those families uh, with your love, with your, with your peace, uh, with your mercy, with your compassion. There's people that have received diagnoses this last year that uh, seem insurmountable, and I suppose they are insurmountable with, uh, without your hand in those situations. And Father, we just pray again that you would calm the storm, that where chaos seems to reign, God, that you would speak very clearly and uh, very loudly in those, those instances. Father, help us to remember as we are blessed as we are that there are those that are less fortunate. This is a season of giving, and I pray that it's not just a season of giving, but I pray that it's a, a good reminder that all of our lives, day in, day out, should be about giving because we've been given. Help us to be about your business, God, not about, not about tradition, not about religion but help us to be your hands and feet and see situations, see people um, as you see them. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Jay, would you mind grabbing those doors for me real quick, if you don't mind? Thank you. So I have a, um, a mentor of mine who has uh, passed and... and uh, in the presence of Jesus now, but um, he was telling me one time about his best gift, most favorite gift. I'm going to ask you here in a moment to help me out with, with your uh, best gift. Whatever it is that, that God brings to your mind, what's the, what's the best gift you were ever given? This particular mentor of mine was speaking about a time that he was at Bible college, and he didn't know how he was going to pay the bills. He didn't know how he was going to um, put food on the table. He had a wife. He had kids. He was at Bible college. It's not cheap. And so he just didn't know how he was going to make it, right? The debt was accruing. It was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, they were at their wit's end, and they were thinking that he was going to have to go back in the workforce and, and uh, give up a dream of preaching and uh, leading church and more importantly, give up a dream of the calling upon his life, and he goes out to the mailbox one day, and he finds a check that takes care of all the bills, not just that month, but months previous, and there's also a sack of groceries at the bottom of the mail post. And it was all anonymous. He didn't know who gave it. Came at the right time, um, and he would maintain that it was a God gift. Maybe your gift is not that big or that extensive. Uh, for me, uh, I think back at a gift when I was 10, 11 years old where everybody 
uh, that the greatest gift you could ever get was Evil Knievel Bicycle. Right? You guys know Evil Knievel Bicycles, right? There was nothing like the Evil Knievel Bicycle, right? Had white plastic that, it, you guys know who Evil Knievel is, right? Had white plastic, um, had the things in the spokes that made it make some noise. It sounded kind of like a motorcycle if you had a good imagination, right? And I thought, if I could have anything, anything at all, it would be a bicycle that was white and shiny and no scratches, Evil Knievel bicycle. My dad worked for Frito-Lay, and um, he drove a truck back when I was young. And when we were really young, um, they would hide presents, hide, hide gifts from you-know-who in in this truck and we got as we got older we got smarter and they would have to move the gifts elsewhere but I remember when I was 10 or 11 years old I was thinking man if I could get anything at all it would be this evil bike and sure enough it came Christmas Day and there it is right the shiniest bike you'd ever imagine makes noise like you would want a motorcycle to make noise and it was I was going to be the talk of the neighborhood right it was probably two weeks later that I was riding the curb. You know what I'm talking about? Riding the curb, right? Not, not over the curb. Riding the curb, falling off and hitting my head and going to the emergency room. And um, that wasn't the big deal. The big deal was I scratched my evil Knievel bike. Right? What's your best gift you ever got for Christmas? Anybody? Anybody? Say again, Kevin. A Honda 90. Why was it? Why was it a big deal for you? Freedom. Wherever you want to go, right? And you, everybody probably knew you were coming, right? A Honda. That's that's good. That's a good gift. Anybody else? A baby dog that that really cried, right? Yeah, that's pretty big. That's pretty special, right? We were thinking about, several of us were talking about the Cabbage Patch Kids the other day. Remember when people were fighting for the Cabbage Patch Kids back in the 80s, whatever? So, special gift for you, though, a, a kid that really, yeah. Anybody else? The birth of a daughter on Christmas Eve. That's a special gift. I would, yeah, yeah, really good. One more? A Nintendo video game. There's nothing like that was going to define your life, right? Nintendo video game. Yeah. Whatever it is that, that's special about Christmas or special about a gift. I think all of us as believers would say there's obviously something better than a baby that cries or an evil Knievel bike or a Nintendo game or a Honda 90, but there's something that, that we put value on. Right? I was going to be the talk of the neighborhood. I was going to be valued, at least in their eyes. You follow what I'm saying? Let me go back to what I said a while ago and how interesting it is that God uses um, Hal to say what he says or Jay to give a meditation about this is not a new thing. This is God's plan all along. I want to remind you of a text from Genesis 12. Now, we've been talking about the Gospel of Luke. For those of you who haven't been here with us the last few weeks, we've been looking at Luke and Christmas according to Luke. 
We'll be back in Luke chapter 2 in just a few moments. If you want to grab your Bible or your smart device or however you look at Scripture, look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. But before we get there, I want to turn your attention all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read three verses in Genesis chapter 12, and I want to focus on one primary phrase in those three verses that defines what value really means, or at least it should define the special gift that all of us should receive this Christmas season. Here's what the writer of Genesis has said. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country and your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And this last phrase in verse 3 is what I want you to take note of. And in you, Abraham, in you, this nation of Israel, all the families of the earth, to include both Israelites and Gentiles, shall be blessed. Now, that's a special gift for Abraham. Would you agree? I mean, Abraham is the promise of God. I think if you have the opportunity to sit with God or provide a meal to God, as we see throughout the narrative in Abraham's account, as he has this, the three friends visit, and he's able to provide, he along with Sarah are able to provide this meal to God. That's a special time, a special promise in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. And yet we as New Testament Christians, church, have the ability to look back in hindsight and say, Abraham didn't fully understand what was promised to him. Would you agree? Even David and the Israelites, as they're looking for this Messiah, they're beginning to understand. It's God is beginning to reveal himself and his promises that this gift that you were promised back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, is bigger than you can ever imagine. It's bigger than all these material things that we've talked about. And for an Israelite, it's more than just a temple. It's more than just the presence of God. It is God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. And as Jay pointed out just a few moments ago, this is not a plan B or a plan C. This is God's plan all along as he reveals this great plan for us. In Luke chapter 2, as we pick up the narrative from the last few weeks, we've seen how God has again revealed his presence as he speaks through an angel and tells this young virgin who has nothing to offer that God would show up, that God hears their outcry for some kind of relief. And God's not just going to send anybody God's going to come himself in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. We saw last week in the Magnificat in Mary's song how she began to understand a little bit more about who Jesus was. We talked this morning in our Bible study how people like Simeon or Anna recognize there's something special about this Christ child. The one true gift the gift was coming into the world as the prophets of so long ago said. 
With those things in mind, let's read from Luke chapter 2. The English Standard Version reads this way, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each according to his town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, for they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom, with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, the child was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. There's a couple things that I think that we ought to at least acknowledge this morning in this text. This is not a new text. We've all seen this text. If you haven't already read it this year, I'm sure you'll see it again. For those of you joining us on Tuesday night for our candlelight service, you will hear this text being read aloud once again, the Christmas story, right? This is not something new for us. But as I've mentioned the last several weeks, the last couple of months, my prayer all along has been that we not just see Christmas as we've always seen Christmas this year, but it takes on a whole new meaning. And what I mean by whole new meaning is a greater appreciation for what God has done. In Luke chapter 2, I think you can see that. First and foremost, I want you to acknowledge in the first part of the chapter, the first couple of verses, notice who thinks he's in charge, right? 
This morning in our Bible study, I asked uh, some of our people to look at this particular text in Luke chapter 2, and this is one of the things that I think is interesting that maybe we didn't pick up on quite so much this morning, but notice this decree that has been given by Caesar Augustus. Who thinks he's in charge? Caesar, Augustus, a Roman, right? That all the world should be registered. In other words, we want to make record of everybody, every town, every family lineage, every person. It's a census, right? We're going to do this again in 2020 as, as Americans, right? But this authority that says, I'm in charge, and the reason I'm in charge is, or one of the reasons that I'm in charge is I'm going to push my authority around. And part of that authority is you will go to a town in which you are to be registered, right? I think the unique part of that is Caesar's not really in charge, is he? Right? He might be put in place because God has allowed that to take place, but ultimately, who's in charge? God's in charge, right? Why is that significant? Those of you who, who were here last week, we were talking about the Magnificat, Mary's song, when she recognizes something has going to take, is going to take place that, that means much more than what we typically think of when it comes to Christmas. Look back at chapter 1 and look down in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring, Forever. Now, how many of you think that Mary and Joseph, who were young, but they were good Jews, probably knew the promise that Abraham got back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 that we just read? You should raise your hand. We all know that, right? They would know that. They would know the promise of God taking care of not just Abraham, but the nation Israel, and eventually there's going to be a, a Messiah coming out of this lineage. And Mary is saying, this, this is going to literally change the, the world, the dynamics, right? The Jews have been underneath the thumb of the Romans for as long as anyone can remember. Partly because of their own bad choices, but partly because the Romans were just ruthless individuals. And you see that not just in the New Testament, Jay. You see it in the Old Testament as well. You see it with these other Babylons, Babylonians, the Assyrians, all these people that are putting the Israelites in their place, so to speak. Eventually you feel like that there is no hope, that there is some, uh, um, there's despair. Where is God when you need him? I'm not sure that you're aware of it or not, but from Malachi through Matthew, there's this intertestamental period where it seems like, 400 years by the way, where it seems like God is silent. And if someone is silent, it seems that God does not care. Right? I mean, some of, right? some of you prayed about something for days and weeks and months and perhaps even years. And Satan would have you to believe that God doesn't care. That God is silent because God is nowhere to be found. But that's not the case. And so this angel that shows up and gives Mary this reminder of God's good news is God cares. And not only does God care, but God is going to come in this baby 
And God is going to tell them, the Israelites, that even though the Romans think they're in charge, guess who's really in charge? God's in charge, right? Notice it says, and all went to register, each to his own town. In other words, God is working in this culture, right? And they go to this town called Bethlehem. They all go to, Joseph goes from Galilee, it says in verse uh, 4. Joseph goes to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, which is called Bethlehem because he was of this lineage of David. And he's going to be registered. And notice what it says, there is no place in the end. And so he's born in a manger. Do you expect royalty to be born in a manger? Do you expect royalty to be born in a barn? Do you expect royalty to be born in a place that is dirty, is filthy? No, you don't. And yet we talked about the servanthood of God this morning in our Bible study, how God makes things not just ironic, seem out of place. God is working behind. God is still in charge. The second part of the chapter is unique as well, where you see the shepherds. Who are shepherds in the ancient world? They're nobodies. They have no value. Shepherds hang out with animals. Shepherds are outside the city. They're outside of the culture, so to speak. They're dirty. Probably not educated very well. Filthy. Because God values not just the educated, not just the rich, not just the people who think they're of status, but it's for all people. Does that make sense? It's for all people. There's no value in the ancient Near East for a, a shepherd. And notice what the angel, they were filled with great joy, it says. They were filled with great fear as well. And the angel said to them, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for not just the rich, not just the educated, not just people in the city, but for all people. And he shares the gospel with them in verse 11, verse 12. This is going to be a sign for you. You're going to show up and this baby is going to be laid in a place where animals eat from in a feed trough. And to confirm what he has just said, there's a multitude of angels, there's a multitude of messengers from God who are declaring God in the highest is going to do something about what hasn't seen right, seemed right for so, so many years. Now think with me for just a second. If you're a shepherd, and you've been displaced. If you're a shepherd and you are perceived as dirty, as filthy, even if you are a Jew, mind you, you have no presence in the presence of God. Right? To get into the presence of God, you must be clean. You must be purified. You must get right before you come to God. Does that make sense? But notice what happens here in chapter 2. God comes to the dirty. God comes to the unclean. God comes to the filthy. I was reminded this past week as I was preparing for this message that there are many people in our world and perhaps there are many people in this room or at least some people in this room who feel like they're far beyond the grace of God. Now we would never say that out loud. Most of us wouldn't say that out loud. But I've visited with people these last few weeks. And maybe you've 
visited people in your past and you've heard people say, why would God, why would God love me that way? Do you know what I've done? I, think, I can tell you how many times people have said, no, God, God can't love me that way. The, it's, it's hard to fathom, right, that kind of love that God would come to me or God would do something about my situation or I'm a sinner, I've chosen bad choice after bad choice after bad choice and so why would God love me the way you declare that he say that he loves me and I would say I don't quite understand it but I know what scripture says the mystery of the gospel is God turns everything on its head right we don't get to choose who has value can I say that again we don't get to choose who has value. God chooses who has value. And if God chooses who has value, who am I to say otherwise? Do you follow what I'm saying? So why would you think of yourself any less than what God says about you? If you're created in the image of God, One text says, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people belonging to God. Your identity is, you're not only created in the image of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have God living within you, right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you have the opportunity to have God living within you, right? In other words, God knows your situation, God knows your struggle, God knows your scars, God knows your bad choices, God knows your sin. And listen, church, He loves you anyway. Why don't you believe it? I mean, why would God send His own Son? For God so loved the world that He... What? Thank you. That He gave. That He gave. That He just doesn't set off in a corner somewhere and go... Man, I wish they got it. No, he, he does more than that. He comes and he lives among us in Jesus of Nazareth. That's an immense amount of love. And so those who are dirty, those who are unclean, those who are just above the lepers and the women in the ancient Near East, pecking order, the shepherds. shows up and says I'm about to make things right and I'm about to make things right in a place in a way that you can never ever imagine isn't that what Christmas is all about the greatest gift ever given the greatest gift ever given now I know we're going to say that on a surface level. We all know that as followers of Jesus, right? The greatest gift ever given. I'm almost surprised that somebody didn't say, well, Jesus. Well, we just, we just sang about that. So it's a given. That's the greatest gift ever, right? But I think sometimes we have to be reminded of God with us. God among us. Anyway. I challenge you this morning, church, to think about Luke chapter 2 as you hear the Christmas story over and over and over again. It seems like the tendency is we become 
become callous. We sing, we sing Christmas carols and they become just notes on a page or some kind of you know, file that we pull up in our brain. We just go through the motions and it's all about tradition. My prayer over the last few months is that it's more than just tradition. It's more than just files in our brains that we call up. It's specifically around this, this season of the year. That Christmas is more than just beautiful trees or decoration or smell or certain foods. But Christmas is about God making things right through the God-man Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Don't ever think that the government is in charge. And don't ever think that you're beyond God's grace. Those of you who are, how many of you are unclean? How many of you are filthy? How many of you have no business in the presence of God? If you haven't already raised your hand, you probably should, because I've just defined all of us. Yet God sends his son, Jesus Christ, not just to be born in a manger, as important, as miraculous as that is, but eventually, of course, this young baby grows up to be a Jewish rabbi who goes to the cross and dies for our sins and three days later is raised again and defines everything in a whole new way. He changes your identity. So why don't you believe it? If you haven't already done so, I pray that today is the day of salvation. I pray that you would associate your life with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is all about, is it not? Not I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, is what the Apostle Paul said. Or, buried in Christ at baptism, risen to walk in a whole new way of living. Let's pray. Father, for your word, uh, for the Christmas story, God, that we're so accustomed to, for the tradition of Christmas, for the carols, the smells, the sounds, uh, the lights, the atmosphere, the materialism, the consumerism, the busyness. I think sometimes it's important that we just remember how, how much weight how much value that, that you place in uh, the simple things to include a couple that were pretty simple, had nothing to offer other than their, their selves, Mary and Joseph. The faith, the character of Mary saying, let it be to me as you have said. faith of a man named Simeon or a prophetess named Anna who said this is the child we have lived long enough to see the Messiah who was promised so long ago for Jews who thought that they were just praying in a traditional way in a religious way who thought that God had left them alone who had who'd been silent for 400 years who didn't care And God shows up. I pray, God, that when we think that you don't care, when we think that you are silent, 
and uh, we are beyond your grace. I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that you would remind us that you're a God of redemption, of restoration, of life. I pray that we're reminded of your love despite who we are. We're all unfilthy. We're all unclean. We're all disassociated from the presence of God. That is until Jesus Christ shows up. Shows up. Someone here today that doesn't know today would be a, a time that a conversation begins. And I pray that you would teach us what it means when it says that God saves. I pray that you would hear our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.